Welcome, or welcome back, to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Cubs-based podcast with a focus on player development. Give me a chance to chatter at length about Cubs player development, and I'll take it. In uncertain times, the podcast discussion can either get adjusted or disappear. I'm trying to go with content true to the context, even if in a mildly different neighborhood. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, R.I.P. Glenn Beckert which is about one of my favorite Cubs second baseman of all time. Questions are welcomed about this episode, the pipeline, baseball development, or whatever else you'd enjoy hearing about. I'm glad for the support, and hopefully I'll have a few ideas on podcasts until the new normal is determined. Please shoot your comments through the podcast, Twitter, or whatever else works for you. On Sunday afternoon, I woke up a bit later than standard and saw Glenn Beckert had passed away. He was my first Cubs second baseman. I was living with my family in Washington, Indiana, South Central in Indiana. My dad, who had gone to high school, with Bob Gibson, was a Cardinals fan. Now stop right there. 1969, the Cardinals had been to the last two World Series, and they had a decent shot in 1969. They didn't end up winning, but they certainly were among the favorites, having won the last two um NL Penance, and my family moved from South Central Illinois to Bolingbrook, Illinois, or South Central Indiana, correction, Washington, Indiana, South Central, down near Terre Haute, in case you know Indiana very well. Moved to Bolingbrook in Chicagoland. And I had taken to baseball. Boy, had I taken to baseball. Uh, the autistic spectrum and all, and that was something I could understand. There were rules, and, you know, ball four, the batter goes to first base. There there were rules. There were... It worked for me. It was very helpful. It was very important for me. The next morning in the newspaper, there would be box scores. So if you wanted to see how the Phillies did, or how the Red Sox did, or how this new team, the Royals, are doing. Who knows? There were box scores. There were words. There were numbers. There were letters. And I was pot committed. Absolutely pot committed. And this new 1969 season, four-year-old Tim was reading the newspaper. Yes, I was reading the newspaper. I was proud to be reading the newspaper at four, especially the sports section. The rest of the sections, eh, forget those. Especially baseball. Especially baseball. And when it turned out that my dad, who had been a minister in South Central Indiana, had decided we were going to move to Chicago Cubsville, that was awesome. That was awesome. I was looking forward to following the Cubs. I didn't even know that all the games were televised. One thing that people miss... 
If you're under a certain age, I'm not even going to use the boomer or Gen X or Gen... I, I have no idea what those stupid things are. If you're of a certain age, it's completely mind-boggling to you that all games weren't once on television. It used to be you would have one game on Saturday afternoon televised, one game on Monday night, usually televised. And other than that, nah. Maybe a team would show a game or two a week on a local channel. Maybe, maybe, probably not. Now the Cubs showed almost all their games. I think they ran up to 145, 148 games a year at a certain point. And that's when I took to being a Cubs fan. So I had all the Cubs games that were not on the West Coast. Boy, there were difficulties with West Coast games, just absolute difficulties. Um, because they couldn't computer stuff. You know, they'd have to send a flight with the actual movie disc and, the you know, and take that and then look at that and then turn that into, wow, that would have been hard. But the people who knew how to do that realized at some point, hey, we have to do this more effectively. They did. They advanced technology. And people who have the current technology have a tendency to think that back then stuff doesn't matter because there's not video. Because if, there, if it mattered, there would be video, right? No, the technology wasn't there. For instance, you go back to 1969. Nice, uh, the, the third Super Bowl. You watch the entire game. The entire game's there, except there's a drive or two that are missing. Something happened. It, it's just not there. 1971 World Series. You can sit down to watch game six. It's all there. Except for about a five-minute segment which is the one part I really, really, really wanted to see when I got the videotape in the mail. It just wasn't there because stuff happens. Incidentally, that was where uh, Mark Belanger was on first with two outs in the ninth. You, you can find the play. You just can't find the live call. And I would really dig hearing the live call. Um, Belanger... Decent runner, not incredibly fast, but then this is the 60s, so uh, this is 1971, so fast, when I say fast, means different from uh, Mookie Betts fast or Mike Trout fast. Belanger was nice and quick for a second for a shortstop. He was quicker than Glenn Beckert. Okay, here we go. So runners on first, ball game is on first. Baltimore has to win this game to force Game 7. So there would be a really important reason to send Mark Belanger if there was a reason to send him. Okay, Don Buford bangs a double into the right field corner. Again, it's on YouTube. It's fantastic. Ball hits just in foul territory. Caroms hits the right field wall, goes right to Clemente, now, Belanger's on third. You 
know they want to send him. You know they want to send him. Because if he scores, it's game over and there's a game the next day. But about a week ago, there had been a fly ball. Clemente ranged, oh, jeez, 100 feet. Again, this on, this on YouTube. They, they, there really isn't a whole lot that people have to see of Clemente, but some of the stuff is fantastic. Catches the ball after running his fanny off. Spins, throws to third. Merv Rettman slides in safely. But that throw told everybody on Baltimore you're not going to run on Clemente. So, Buford, good leadoff man, bangs one into the corner, ball ricochets, caroms right to Clemente. He turns from, again, you'll look it up, you'll see it. I don't know, 300 feet away, give or take, maybe it's 320, three, eh, probably about 300, 310 from the plate. Spins, throws it, no cutoff man necessary. Manny Sangian holds his glove at about his thigh, and the ball lands right there. Now, that's one of the few highlights you have of Clemente. The, well, the, you, don't, you can't see, you can't find the one where someone on Cincinnati singled to right field. It bounced on the AstroTurf right in front of Clemente, who grabbed it, rifled to the plate, poorly may. He was he was a big man, big man. I, I would oh comp him to Frank Thomas as far as body size, probably a little bit smaller because nobody's as huge as Frank Thomas, but eh, basically about that size and about that slow. So looping liner to right center, Lee Mays on third base with one out. What do you do? You take a bit of a lead off a of third and... If the ball's caught, you go back to third. If the ball lands, you go home. So the ball lands. He turns to go home. Clemente mulches him at the plate from right field, trying to score from third on a single. You can't see that. That play, it happened. It happened, but you can't find it because there is no video. And what so many people who are used to everything is on video, what they don't realize is Willie Mays was a fantastic player. Henry Aaron was a fantastic player. Just because you don't have video of it doesn't mean they were ordinary. Doesn't mean that they're not necessarily better than this guy or that guy. But when you would have an outfield in an all-star game of Mays, Aaron and Clemente, good luck shooting the gap. Just good luck. All three of them were fantastic defensively. Mays had incredible range. You just didn't even mess with Clemente. But um, I seem to have wandered a bit. I'm going to leave that in because I like wandering like that. But um, so, yeah, so people currently think, why is it that a player like Glenn Beckert, who had no power, was hitting second base. You should have a guy who hits a lot of home runs. Back then, people didn't lift weights. Players didn't lift weights in the offseason. You didn't have guys walking in who are... You, your shortstop was not Alex Rodriguez. 
Alex Rodriguez was huge for that time. If, it, anybody that was that size wasn't that quick. When you had a guy who was playing second base, like Becker, usually they were moderately quick. Oh, moderately quick in a... A little bit slower than Mark Grudzelanek. Sort of a moderately quick. It was just, a, it was a different game. Players didn't have the tech, they didn't have the technology. They didn't have the computers. They didn't lift. They didn't run so much. You didn't have Ken Griffey Jr. back then. You didn't have the behemoth, massive Mookie Betts. You didn't have those types of players. When Jose Canseco came along. He was, wow, how do you have that size and speed? And then, right after that, there was Bo Jackson. But by then, most of those players, most of their highlights, good and bad, are on video because they were around in the 80s. By the 80s, usually, if stuff was really good, you could have video of it. But back in the 70s, you didn't. So when people scour for Glenn Beckert highlights, there aren't any. There aren't any. He was a good hitter, made good contact, didn't strike out much. He made the defensive plays, and that's what teams wanted from second baseman back then because you didn't have a second baseman who was 6'4", that could run. You didn't have Ryan Sandberg yet. Sandberg's the my, my all-time favorite Cubs second baseman. Glenn Beckert is way closer to the top than you might think he was. If I had a dollar for every time I heard Jack Brickhouse run through the top of the Cubs lineup, and it was leading off will be Don Kessinger at shortstop. Glenn Becker will bat second and play second. Billy Williams will bat third. He'll play in left field. Ron Sano, the third baseman, will hit cleanup. Now, it would vary from there, but it was always those four. 1969, 1970, 1971, 1972. It was always those four. Unless anyone was hurt, and if it was going to be anyone who was getting hurt, usually it was going to be Glenn Beckert. I hope you're enjoying my Pre-Arb Excellence Cubs podcast as much as I am bringing them to you. There are two ways you can help to extend the reach of the podcast. Share the link with a like-minded friend. I check every day to see how many followers I have. Actually, I haven't done that in a long time. And as the numbers go up, I'm happy. Anchor allows sponsorships for podcasts. If you're interested in helping out in that fashion, thanks for considering it. So, Glenn Beckert was a long-standing Cub. And one of the things that I, I learned on Sunday, I learned quite a bit about the first-year player draft. Glenn Beckert, had been selected by the Red Sox. In, no, hadn't been selected. He had been signed by the Red Sox because before 1965, there was no draft. There was no draft. You went out and signed players. Now, some people think that owners now are terrible because they're wage suppressionists. Ooh, I want to make sure that this gets limited and, ooh, we're coming up for a negotiation. Let's see if we can take the players on this. Let's see if we can woodshed them on this other thing. 
oh, let's see, the players don't have much money saved up, so let's uh, do this thing and make it look like we're being good to them, but take all the way, take away rights of minor leaguers and current college and high school players. Yeah, 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 that'll work, that'll work. Wage suppressionists. Owners have always been wage suppressionists. They want to get theirs, and they don't want anyone else to get any of their own. The first-year player draft... I had kind of put most of it together, but Al had a nice little comment on it. He had taken something from SABR, Sabre uh, organization, I think it was them, talking about the first year player draft, late 50s into, I think 1964 would have been the last year. Maybe, probably 1965 would have been the last year. If you had selected a player the previous season, Selected, signed. I I say signed, I mean signed, not selected. Depending upon what level they had advanced to, you could poach a player from another organization. There were stipulations, but in many instances, you could just sign a player away from another team who had signed them as a, an amateur free agent. Cubs did that with Glenn Beckert in large part because Ken Hubbs had died in a plane crash. That'll be a future podcast if you guys bug me about it. That would be a very good one. Very sad one, but very good one. Hubbs was supposed to be the Cubs' second baseman for a good long while. And I think, was Don Kessinger considered a shortstop or second baseman then? One of the, I think Kessinger had been t- considered a second baseman, but they had been moving him to shortstop. And then with Hubs dying, Kessinger moved to short officially, and they brought in Beckert, who needed more seasoning. And they brought in Joey Amalfitano to play second base for a year or so. While Beckert got finished and ready and moved up. But um, so the first year player draft was complete, complete um, attacking wages, complete wage suppression. So if you would have a team who went out and signed a player for, oh, some ungodly amount of money, like let's say $4,000. Oh, geez, I don't want to pay $4,000 to get that dude. That's absurd to pay $4,000 to get a guy forever. Well, what the first year draft was, after a player's first season, not after his second, not after his third, after his first season, depending upon what level the player had reached, in many instances, you could poach the player from the team who rightfully had drafted, signed him. Wow, I keep saying drafted. Um... Teams didn't like that they would go out, do the work, bring in a guy, get him ready, get him developed his first year. Then someone else who didn't bother to want to do all the homework, didn't want to pay for him, would come in, swoop in, play the white knight, and all of a sudden he's on a new team. So the first year player draft, Glenn Beckert was in it. Um... Paul Blair had been drafted by the Mets. 
and the Orioles drafted him in the selected him in the first year player draft. There's a number of players. It's not a huge list, but uh, yeah, there were some players who. Nah, I'm not going to bother to go out and sign players. I'll wait until someone else signs them. Then after they sign him, then I'll sign them from that team. So what that led to was the draft, which led to wage suppression. Believe me, wage, oh, baseball owners are very good at wage suppression. They always have been, and probably they always will be. I've wandered again from Glenn Beckert. Um... Beckert's best season was in 1971 in mid-August. He was hitting 343, and he was in St. Louis and broke his hand, which finished him for the season and kind of finished the Cubs for the season. Um, when he was recuperating from his injured hand, I went to get his autograph down in... Where would it have been? I think it was down by like Lockport, Joliet, somewhere, somewhere down there. They he, he was at like some building supply out, like a Danley's or something like that. If you've heard of, if you remember Glenn Beckert, you remember Danley's. If you don't know what Danley's is, you don't remember Glenn Beckert. I think I can pretty much do that straight loop. Um, I'm hoping to do more podcasts. I have a few kind of ideas, but uh, if you have some ideas, please call, please con uh, please text me, please tweet me, please uh, send me messages through the podcast. I haven't looked at the podcast in two weeks. Someone had commented that they wanted to do a podcast, and I asked if they'd be willing to do one on Anchor, and he said, yeah, sure, not a problem. So... Who knows, maybe I'll have one on a guy who, yeah, when it comes up, it'll come up if it comes up. But uh, if you have any ideas of podcasts that you think would be really fun to listen to, again, I'm only going to talk about what I know. So if it's going to be, oh, you should interview something, unless I actually know the person, I'm kind of hesitant on doing that. That's, I, I, I like baseball because I can be invisible. Um, and quite a few people, I appreciate my listeners and I appreciate my readers because there are a whole bunch of people who think I do this completely wrong and they're probably correct in saying that, but I'm much more comfortable in doing it the way that I do it. Hopefully soon I'll have another podcast. Glenn Beckert, may you rest in peace. You were my second baseman growing up and... Part of the Kessinger-Beckert-William-Santo thing, people who remember back in the day, they're not right, they're not wrong. They have memories that people who don't remember back in the day don't have. When people from the, from the older times think about baseball, they think about, well, teams had one lineup. Teams played everybody all the time. Yeah, they did. It wasn't a very good idea. It probably wasn't a very good idea then. It's not a very good idea right now. But a lot of people who are from back in the day think because it worked then, it should work now. Well, it really didn't work that well back then either. 
Thanks for stopping by Pre-Arb Excellence. It means quite a bit to me that you chose to press play or click subscribe. My goal is to be a go-to source in the Cubs pipeline development. And questions are welcome, either through the podcast or on Twitter at Tim815. Next time, hopefully, I'll have another episode that you consider worth your time. Until then, enjoy. Be nice to people.